Welcome back to Couple of Criminals. This is Mariah. And this is Anton. And we are your average couple reviewing your not-so-average crimes. Today's episode marks number 32 of a 50-part series that we are doing where the episode is based around a different crime in each state in the United States of America and are in alphabetical order. So today's case that we will be covering is based on a crime from New York. All right, Anton, let's hear your joke of the week, and then you can get into today's case that you chose. Why do ducks have feathers? I have no idea. To cover their butt quacks. <laughs> that's funny. Butt quack. Butt quack. That's a good one. That's funny. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. As Mariah stated, I will be going over a case that happened in New York. Today, we will be going over the case of the notorious serial killer, the son of Sam. This guy terrorized the New York City area from 1976 to 1977. Starting off like we normally do with his early life, the son of Sam was born in 1953 and was actually put up for adoption right whenever he was born. Even from a young age, he showed signs of violence. He was also very intelligent but lost interest in school and decided to become very rebellious. I feel like the next phase is wanting to dissect dead animals on the road and then beat your dog. You do typically see that, but he apparently showed no signs of that. Yeah. He was never in any legal trouble as a child. He did start a lot of arsons, apparently, from what I saw. Oh, but that is one of the... Pyromania. But that's one of the signs of somebody who suffers from or could anticipated to be a serial killer or a murderer. Yeah. Once his adoptive mother died when he was 14 due to breast cancer, he ended up pretty much falling away from his adoptive father and his new stepmom, and their relationship was very bad. I feel like that's a really tough situation. But really, his adoptive father, if he was adopted as a baby, it's his the father that all he knows, so that is kind of a... It's pretty a, much his dad. That's a yeah. tough situation. It is. He ended up joining the U.S. Army when he was 18 in 1971. He served in both the U.S. and South Korea. Only serving three years in the Army, he was honorably discharged from the Army. After getting discharged from the Army, he tracked down his birth mom and found out that his birth dad had just passed away. Apparently, with this information, as well as finding out his birth was illegitimate, really made him upset. Then, once losing contact with his birth birth mom, he started working just blue-collar jobs. His killing spree started on July 29, 1976. In the early morning, an 18-year-old Donna Laurie and 19-year-old Jody Valenti were sitting in Valenti's car when the son of Sam walked up to the car and shot at the two teens. He fired three total shots and then just walked away. And it killed both of them? So Donna was unfortunately killed in the attack, but Valenti was able to survive and give a description of the shooter. Oh my goodness. This description apparently matched the same description Valentine's dad gave, as well as many other individuals in the neighborhood. During the investigation, they were able to determine the weapon used, which was a 44 caliber bulldog, which was a type of revolver, apparently. His next attack occurred on October 23, 1976, in Flushing, which is in the Queens. Two more people sitting in their car were attacked. Carl De Niro and Rosemary Keenan had their windows shattered in their car while they were in it, and that's when Keenan decided to start the car and drive off. What quick thinking, right? 
oh my gosh, so they didn't get attacked yet. Their car was vandalized so, while they were in it. Well, because of this quick thinking, they were both able to survive this attack on them. They did not even realize that they got shot until they stopped for help. Who got shot? They both got shot from what it's, I saw. When police asked the two about the shooter, they told police they did not get a good look at the shooter. They didn't even see the shooter from what it sounded like. Well, it sounds like adrenaline sent in probably when they heard the window break and then they ran. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, Which the window broke thinking. and she's, the car was off. She, turned the, she had quick enough reaction to turn the car on and just drive. Yeah, good for them. Yeah, and that's the main reason why they probably lived. During the investigation, the police were able to find out that the bullets were that of a forty-four caliber but could not determine the firearm that was actually used in this shooting. At this time as well, police were not able to connect the two shootings as they were in two separate boroughs of New York City. The next attack was on November 27, 1976. Just after midnight, two teens were sitting on the porch. 16-year-old Donna DeMassey and 18-year-old Joanne Lumino were on the porch at Lumino's house in Bell Rose, Queens. This is when a mysterious man came up to them and asked in a high-pitched voice about directions. Shortly after asking, them, asking for directions, the man pulled out a gun and shot the two. Once the man fired, he ran away from the scene, but again failed to kill the two victims. Unfortunately, Joanne did get paralyzed due to, her, to the gunshots. The police were able to make more sketches due to the girls and also more neighbors' descriptions of the shooter. Then on January 30th, 1977, came the next attack. Wow, so that's about a month or two months, two months later. later. That's yeah. a big gap. Well, the first, you got to think it was July to November. October. Oh, yeah. And, and then, then it was November. October to November. So it was about two months, roughly two or three months. And then it was a month and then another two months. I always wonder like what they're doing during that time where they're not committing the crime. I would assume they're probably, well... In serial killer cases, they're probably planning their next victim. They're scouting out their next victim, kind of like their habits, maybe. I mean, and the thing, too, is what I think is, like, if he is seeing on the news that these people are surviving, like, he has to understand that he could get traced back. Oh, like easily, Maybe yeah. he waits a couple months because it's possible that he's going to get traced back. Yeah. So, like I said, it's now January 30th, 1977, and this is when his next attack came. Christine Fruyend and John Deal were sitting in the car of Deal. This is when the car was shot at. Now, Deal only sustained minor injuries, but Fruyend ended up dying at the hospital due to her injuries. Now, neither one of the two saw the shooter. After this, police did finally announce publicly that there was a killer on the loose. This is also when police were able to connect the shootings because of the caliber of the bullet found. Now, Mariah, do you remember which caliber of bullet was used? Yeah, didn't you say a forty-four caliber? Nice, nice, you're listening. Good yeah, job. I am listening. <laughs> police did come out and say that the killer was targeting, targeting young women with dark hair. Although the police did connect the shootings together, they did think that they had multiple different shooters. I wonder what made them deduce that. We'll get into it later. March 8th, 1977 rolled around, and this is when Virginia Voskerikin was walking home from class when she was shot. This time, the killer decided to shoot her multiple times, which ended up Virginia getting killed. Wow, so he really wanted to make sure that I'm assuming they he's finally survive. getting tired of people surviving, and he's actually 
It's so interesting. Making That's sure like he's killing someone. A totally different, like geographical preference than what he's had because he's been targeting cars, homes. I mean, for one person, a single person walking home from school, that's that's different than what he's done. Yeah. So this is when a neighbor heard the shooting and came out to see what happened. This neighbor saw a teenager running away from the scene of the crime. Multiple people said that they saw this teenager as well as the son of Sam. Police ended up finding the teenager, but was able to determine that this teenager was just a witness to the shooting and not the shooter. And was just running away because, like, because of fear. That's my assumption. It didn't say anything more than that from what I found, but could be. Yeah. Uh... Then on April seventeenth, nineteen seventy-seven, Alexander Asu and Valentina Suriani were in the car, in their car, in the Bronx. This is when they were both shot and killed in the car. Were their windows down? It, again, never said, but he targeted people that were in their car. You know, it's really sad to me because I feel like the comfort of your own car is kind of like the comfort of your own house. You don't expect anything to happen because you're in your personal vehicle. But, yeah, like that to me I mean, is... I would, I would assume my house would be a little bit safer than my car. Yeah. But yes, I do. I do see where you're coming from, but I and I do agree with you. Well, and are these people like parked in parking lots, parked in front of their homes? Never, like that's never where said, I wonder yeah. is where are they at? It never said. Again, investigators were able to determine the caliber of bullet and firearm used, but this time they found something very eerie at the scene. Take a look at this handwritten note that was found at the scene. Now, Mariah, do you mind reading it? Okay. I say goodbye and good night. Police, let me haunt you with these words. I'll be back. I'll be back. To be interpreted as bang, 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 ugh. Yours in murder, Mr. Monster. Now, this is what they found at the scene of the crime, and also when our killer revealed himself to be the son of Sam. This is terrible. Yeah, how creepy so he literally was targeting the new york police department with this letter and the captain of the police department i mean that's pretty scary yeah tell me about it like i would be i'm shaking a little bit now just hearing the letter again yeah after receiving this letter police went on a manhunt for our killer they actually tracked down each person who owned a 44 caliber revolver Unfortunately, even with this effort, police were not able to find the weapon that was used in the shootings. Along with this, they also started having stakeouts of people sitting in their cars, hoping that the shooter would come. Oh, as kind of like, like bait. As like a bait, yeah. They would have police officers in their car to try and bait the shooter to come. Oh, okay. The next letter sent by the son of Sam was on May 30th, 1977. This is when Jimmy Breslin, who was a columnist at the Daily News, got this letter. This also was a very disturbing letter. I couldn't find it, so we don't have a picture of it. I'm sure it's somewhere. But it was titled, Blood and Family, Darkness and Death, Absolute Depravity, Point 44. Oh, and that's the caliber of gun he uses. Yeah. How creepy. Any idea from the title what you could think could be in the letter? Maybe who he's targeting next? It's a good guess. So apparently the letter contained about a couple of the past victims, 
as well as the continual taunting of the New York Police Department. Then he also brought up the date July 29th. Police were wondering about what this could mean. They thought, could there be an attack on July 29th? Or could he be bringing up the past when his first attack was, because his first attack was July 29th, 1976. Police did think that this letter could have been a copycat to the killer, as this letter was written in a more sophisticated manner. I was actually thinking that. I was also thinking, I'm like, what if the first letter was dropped off by somebody who... So they assumed that the first letter was was just left there by the son of Sam. They were assuming that this letter was a copycat due to the fact that it was more sophistical than the other one. Okay. Or, sorry, sophisticated than the other one. And around this time, too, guess what? A lot of women decided to change their hairstyle because they didn't want to have long, dark hair. Now it's June 26th, 1977, and the son of Sam has made another appearance and has taken a couple more shots at two people. In Bayside, Queens, Sal Lupo and Judy Placido were in their car in the morning, and they were both shot. They did only sustain minor injuries, but did not get a good look at the shooter. Witnesses spotted two people from the scene, one with dark hair and one with blonde hair. So are we to believe that there are two people? Like I said, we'll get into it here in a little bit, but as of right now, yes, we are to assume that there are two people. It was made known that the man with dark hair was the suspect and the man with blonde hair was just a witness. July 31st, 1977 is up next. This just two days after the anniversary of the first shooting. This time, the son of Sam was in Brooklyn. Stacy Moskowitz and Robert Violante were in Robert's car when a man approached and opened fire. Stacy did end up dying at the hospital, while Robert did survive from this attack. It's really sad because there is a theme. The woman is, has been dying. And again, we'll get into a little bit more about his M.O., later okay so maybe he's more deliberately targeting the women than the men yes you're in the car you're putting two and two together here i still just wish that i knew where each car was parked in each yeah, case I, it never said where it was but because i'm like man did I mean, they just are they just driving at like a red light or no i'm pretty sure they have to be i'm parked assuming somewhere. it would be parked in like a parking lot or a parking garage or something, well, something. Like that. Or I'm like, did they just wrap up at Trader Joe's, you know? And like now they're getting ambushed. Like, that is scary stuff. Yeah, it is. So this is when witnesses ended up getting a good look at the shooter as well as his yellow car. My word. How brazen is that to be driving a yellow car? Yeah. So the shooter was said to look like he was wearing a wig, which would make sense of why people would see two different hair colors. This yellow car was also seen to have no headlights. A dead giveaway, right? This gave police the great idea of investigating every owner of a yellow car that had no headlights. There were multiple owners investigated, and even the killer came to be investigated, but police at this time just said that he was a witness and not a suspect. On August 10, 1977, was when our killer's car was actually searched. This is when police found out the identity of our killer. The son of Sam was finally ID'd, and his name was David Berkowitz. They found just about everything they needed to confirm David was the son of Sam. They found a rifle, a bag full of ammo, maps of different crime scenes, 
as well as an unsent letter from the son of Sam. So how did it go from, oh, we interviewed this guy, he's just a witness, to now he's... I'm assuming they got to the point where they were starting to... They didn't have a search warrant for his car. And so then, then how I think did they, they su- ended up getting a search warrant. Well, I'm assuming they probably got a car. search warrant for all of the yellow cars with no yeah. headlights. And, they, and then this is whenever and they, found, they his... found his stuff in okay. the car. Now, police decided to wait for David outside of his apartment. And this is when they arrested David as he was holding a 44 bulldog in a paper bag coming out of his apartment. His response was chilling to me. He said, well, you got me. How come it took you such a long time? Oh, my word. Taunting the NYPD. But they should have known he would have given a response But he just pretty much confessed like as well. Well, yeah, he totally confessed. But I feel like they should have assumed that that was the kind of response they were going to get. He, he's an egotistical killer. Oh, yeah. And apparently the reason why he, the police had to wait for him outside of his apartment was because they didn't have a search warrant for his apartment yet. I mean, but he confessed right then and there. Yeah, so, so they gave him reasonable yeah. cause to go search the premise. Police were able to search David's apartment and found satanic writings all over the wall, as well as a diary detailed over 1,400 arsons that he had committed all around New York. Once brought in, David confessed to the shootings and murders, as well as pleading guilty. The police asked about his motivation, and this is, when, and this is what he had said to them. He said that he had a former neighbor named Sam Carr who had a dog that was apparently possessed by a demon in which that demon told him to kill Sam. It was a little fuzzy. I'm assuming it told him to kill Sam and not the dog, but it was really fuzzy from what I saw. This Sam is the same reason for the name the son of Sam. David was sentenced to 25 years in prison for each murder. Does that include the murder of Sam? I'm assuming so, but again, I'm not sure if it was if he killed Sam or if he killed the dog. I'm assuming it was Sam. I'm assuming it was Sam. But I'm not sure. So, but yes, I would assume so. So he pretty much spent his whole life in jail. Now, apparently, he also stated before that he had, a, that he had been demonically possessed, but found out it was all a hoax in 1979. Psychiatrist was brought in to find to try and figure out why he went on this killing spree. And the main reason was because he was rejected by a lot of women. He was transferred out of the Supermax prison where he was residing and transferred to a correctional facility where he is actually still at to this day. And this happened in 1990, whenever he was transferred out of the Supermax prison. So he served about from anywhere from 10 to 15 years at the Supermax prison, from what it sounds like. And that is the story of the Son of Sam, a very chilling story of the man who terrorized New York City for a year. I mean, that's terrible. Yeah, I mean, you, you read the letter. Yeah. I mean, again, like I said, I was shaking, having goosebumps just reading it again. The first time I saw it, I was like, oh my word, what did I get myself into with this case? Yeah, and he was just very confident in his ability to get away with it. Yeah, I mean, clearly, from his, just his response of being caught. I would assume from it also sounded like he was assuming that he was going to get caught. It just depended on how long it took. Yeah. So the second person in each case was in fact just a witness then because they only identified different people with different hair because of his wigs. It wasn't yeah, that it so was a it was, separate person. Yeah. So besides the teenager they found, 
that was the only other witness. Oh, okay. Or person seen leaving the crime that wasn't him. Wait, so he was transferred from the prison to a correctional facility? Yeah, he was transferred from a super... It didn't say why. He was just transferred from a supermax prison to a correctional facility in New York. I feel like the, you know, the fine lining in these cases, because I always feel like I like to look at that, is, you know, there were people who were fatally shot, and that's devastating. But thankfully, there was more people who survived his attacks than were killed by yeah, his attacks. Yeah, it seems like it was about almost a little over 50-50 yeah. for people who survived to people who died. It's just mind-blowing to me that New York is such a big city and people want to go there and it's such a huge tourist outlet. And there's a lot of crime that happens in New York. Oh, yeah. When I was looking through like what case to pick, there were a lot of a lot yeah. of cases. I mean, I still want to go because I still want to go on Broadway and stuff and be able to see that. But there is. I mean, it's a very high crime-ridden area, which is just sad because it's a. I think it's a beautiful city, at least from pictures, but I've never been. But you've been. I have been, yeah. It was a lot of fun, too. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to Couple of Criminals. We will see you back here next week where I will be reviewing a crime from the state of North Carolina. Until then, this is your couple of criminals signing off. 